I want to ask you a question. What is uh, your favorite animal in the world? Animal, bird, fish, insect, whatever. Can you picture your favorite animal? What are, what are you seeing? Just call it out. A tiger. What else? I can't hear. A grizzly bear. Whoa, Louise. What else? A cat. What was that one? Oh, Lassie, a collie dog. Yeah. A golden retriever. See, I, I, we have a psychiatrist in the back. He's going to come out and analyze you on the basis of your favorite animal, right? So I, I want to talk to you today about an insect. Um, the insect that I want to talk about is the praying mantis. Who has ever seen one? So they're, they're around here now, right? I mean, they, they, they don't originate here. But what a strange animal this is, right? And it's called the praying mantis. Um, it's called the praying mantis, and its actual um, name is mantis religiosa. So it's a religious mantis. Mantis comes from um, the Latin for priest. So this animal is called by a religious name. It's called a priest, a praying priest. And the reason it's called that, of course, is that it looks like it's praying. I mean, it's, it's got its front legs bent as though in a posture of prayer. Now, I, sometimes I wonder what was going on in heaven when God created the various species and, and varieties, right? You know, what if, if there was kind of like if God said, okay, everybody gather around. Today, I'm going to do a giraffe. And they go, what's a giraffe like? Just watch this, okay, see? And the point of this is that giraffes are going to eat the leaves from high up in the trees. So should we give them long legs or a long neck? What do you think? And they voted, and they said long neck for sure. That would be cool to have an animal with a So here we have the giraffe, right? Other animals that God sort of paraded before heaven, and he said, what do you think of this one? So when he presented the praying mantis, what do you think they said? He said, and I have to look really close because it's a really small insect. But I have to tell you, it is one of the most formidable animals in the whole animal kingdom. Bird, fish, animal, whatever it is. This insect is formidable. What does formidable mean? If your French is formidable, which means fantastic, which means um, pretentious, it means frightening, it means impressive. So here we have this formidable insect called the praying mantis. And I want to just suggest five aspects or five characteristics of the praying mantis. And then we're going to get to a story Jesus told. So you can watch for the segue. How am I going to get from a green insect to a story that Jesus told us? And what's the point? Well, we're going to get there. But here is this animal, and it is characterized by at least these five things. First of all, it's incredibly visionary. This tiny little insect has 3D vision. Um, it has not only two incredibly concentrated eyes, um, but it has three small eyes, three spare eyes, as well as the two big eyes. And each of the big eyes has a particular uh, piece of the eye physiologically that can zero in and see things in incredibly minute detail. So God created this insect and he said, look at the eyes, first of all. It has incredible vision. 
Um, this animal has a, has a neck that can pivot, so with these five eyes, it can see 360 degrees. It can turn around and see everything around it. Incredible vision for this particular insect that God created. Second thing that's noticeable about the praying mantis is its patience. It can outweigh any prey. And if you've seen one, you've seen how it can outweigh that, outweigh that prey. If it needs to disguise itself, it'll just become the color of whatever it's hiding on. So it might be green naturally, but if it's on a flower, it will become purple or red or blue as it patiently, patiently waits. Now, as I think about these things, I think God didn't make things arbitrarily, right? He didn't, he didn't create things just because they needed to exist. He created them to teach us things. So every single thing in creation is a lesson from God for us. A walk in the woods is a lesson about God. It's about his nature, about his, his character. Everything that he made tells us something. So what do we learn from the praying mantis? Um, the third thing that we notice about this praying mantis is its agility. Um, this mantis is able to ambush its prey having waited carefully and for as long as necessary, but it can then attack, we're told, with such lightning speed, and it uses its big front legs so quickly um, with its spikes to skewer and pin its victim in place. So be careful handling one of these if you ever come across one, right? And God said, Take a look at this insect that I created. The fourth thing that we notice about this praying mantis is its incredible precision. Um, they are able to uh, see what they want and convince unsuspecting victims to come and visit them if they don't have the opportunity to suddenly um, pounce on them. And they are precise. They can launch themselves into the air and scientists have been able to use slow motion cameras and see that they go for yards and yards and yards, meters and meters and meters, with great precision to seize the prey, which they then ambush with their front legs and pin them in place. And if you're an unsuspecting um, reproductive partner with a praying mantis, it might also bite off your head. So how do you like that? And the angel said, God, why did you do that part? And God said, for fun. <laughs> what else about this praying mantis? It is incredibly adaptable. As I said, it's able to hide and convince anybody coming around any other creature that it's not even there. It becomes the color. It looks like just as well a leaf or a petal as it looks like um, a particular animal or insect. When we think about this, um, they also call the, the praying mantis as a prophetic animal because it, um, it has its name that, that means a prophet or a priest. They were thought to have special powers. And in early civilizations, um, they were considered to be religious or, or mystical or magical uh, critters. And they were thought to have a sort of a knowledge, a sense of things. Okay, fine little lesson from nature on the praying mantis. What are we going to do with that? So let me bring you to a story that Jesus told. Here's the segue. It, it, there isn't one yet. Okay. Here's the story. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. So I love when we get to a parable and it's interpreted for us. 
Because otherwise, we're scratching our heads and saying, what, what does that mean? Why did he tell that story? And we are given the information that sometimes he told stories so people wouldn't understand, and sometimes he told stories so people would understand. Sometimes he told stories so that some people wouldn't understand, but his disciples could understand later, or his disciples um, had it explained to them. So we're sort of looking at each story and say, well, what kind of story is this? First of all, is it, is it a complex story? Are there a lot of lessons to learn? So when we saw the story of the prodigal son, there are all kinds of lessons all tied up in that lovely story. But in some stories, there's just one lesson, there's just one point that's being made. Sometimes it's told to us, sometimes it's not told to us. Unfortunately, this time, Luke says, here's exactly why Jesus told them this story. He told them this story so that they would learn that they should always pray and never give up. That's the simple lesson of the story. And we've had a story already that taught the same lesson, right? So we had this person who has visitors come at midnight. He wasn't expecting them. And he has no food. So he goes next door, hammers on his neighbor's gate. And the neighbor finally comes out, rubbing his eyes and saying, what do you want? And he says, well, I have no food. Can you lend me something? Because I have visitors who've arrived unannounced. And his friend neighbor says, no, we're in bed. Go away. So he goes and comes back in, he hammers on the, the gate and says, oh, please, please. Can. And the end of the story is Jesus says, so his neighbor gave him some food, not because of their friendship, but because he was pestering him. I, I love that Jesus said that because if I were to say that's the meaning of the story, you'd say, well, that's a crazy story. Surely if he's a friend, he would do what a friend would do. And Jesus says, no, nothing to do with friendship. And he told that story so we would know that we should pray and not stop praying. Is it obvious that that's what the guy did? Yes, he kept hammering and hammering and hammering on the gate. And Jesus says, you should do that as well while you pray. And here, he tells another story with exactly the same application. He tells them this story, says Luke, so that they would always pray and never give up. So here's this story. There was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. And then your mind just goes wandering, right? So uh, elections, October 22nd. So I, I like looking at all the slogans on the candidate signs, right? Progressive change, better schools, students first. All that. Suppose this guy's running for office and it's on his sign. Does not honor God, doesn't care about people. Running for judge. No, no, I don't think so. Like, if you, if you want to run for judge, in that context, you'd be saying, fears God, cares about people. Well, this judge, says Jesus, did not fear God, and he could give a hoot about people. But this widow is coming and bothering him. So here's what we hear. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. So clear as anything. This judge has the power to bring about justice. This widow has a case that she's bringing before him, and she's bringing it before him repeatedly. The guy is going and knocking on the gate over and over and over again. The widow is coming and knocking on the judge's gate over and over and over again. Give me food for my friends that have come. Give me justice for this dispute. Well, we sort of know what's going to happen because Jesus goes on and finishes the story this way. The judge ignored her for a while. He didn't fear God, didn't care about people. Why would he pay attention to her? 
But finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. <laughs> so now that's got to be some kind of awakening for the guy as well, right? Uh, but he doesn't want to do anything about it. It's just like, I don't fear God, I don't care about people. So wouldn't truth-telling be a lovely thing among candidates? You know, if they really told the truth, what the slogans might say on their signs, see, I'm a little cynic, right? But this judge said, nah, I don't fear God, I, I could care less about people. But, he goes on, this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. She's wearing me out with her constant requests. What does Jesus want us to know about prayer? Not rocket science, right? Keep on praying. How does he caricature God? Is, is, is God the kind of being who hears you come again and, first of all, tries to duck out of the office? Um, I once had a back door to my office, which was really handy because I just wasn't there when some people arrived that I didn't want to talk to. And so here now we've moved to a building in which I have no office. It's awkward because I'm right there, right where Ian's sitting is where I am every day. And people walk through the door, and Bethany can't say he's not in. <laughs> right. So here I am. Um, she's wearing me out with her constant requests. I can't duck her any longer. So I'm going to get her her justice. What does Jesus want us to know about praying? You should keep on praying. So I take a lesson from the praying mantis. I don't know if it's what God thought about when he was creating that little insect, but it's a lesson that comes from the scientific observations that I've just brought up for you. They're, they're not my observations. But there's something about that praying mantis that teaches us how to be praying people. The same skills, the, the same behaviors, I think, commend themselves to us um, whether by accident or by God's design in saying, if anybody cares to watch and notice, they could learn from the praying mantis. Because what I want to talk about today is a very specific kind of prayer. And the specific kind of prayer that I want to talk about is the formidable praying mother. All right, so we have a formidable praying mantis but even more remarkable is the formidable praying mother. So we might give her a Latin name as well and say it's Mater Religiosa instead of Mantis Religiosa. That's now it's real technical. We've got a term for it. Do you know that praying mothers are one of the greatest blessings for the church and for our faith? How many of you have been impacted by a praying mother? Right. How many of you have been impacted by a praying grandmother? Right. Hardly any of, us, any of us has not. The praying women of the church have always been a backbone of the church. They always have. It doesn't mean guys don't pray or shouldn't pray. It's just that the way it works out has been historically that women have moved the heart of God by their praying. And just as there is not an insect as formidable as the praying mantis, I want to tell you there is not a prayer as formidable as the praying mother. You don't want to trifle with a praying mother. You don't want to discourage a praying mother. 
You don't want to distract a praying mother because it is a ministry that is given, maybe not particularly to women, but it is one that has been picked up, that has been assumed by women with great powerful effect and blessing for the rest of us. Augustine, or Augustine, depending on your pronunciation and your theological background, um, became one of the most influential leaders of the early church in the 4th century A.D., and he was a bishop um, in North Africa, um, raised in a, in a very interesting situation geographically and culturally and all of that. But as a young person and as a young man, he was anything but a Christian. But he had a mother who prayed for him. And the story about his mother is a remarkable story, how she sort of came from, from ignominy to, to being a person who committed herself to pray for her husband and for her children, Augustine or Augustine being the most wayward of them. On his deathbed, her husband came to Christ. And later on in life, Augustine, Augustine came to Christ. And he attributes everything in his growth as a Christian, as a scholar, as a leader to his mother and his mother's prayers. She did not give up in the midst of incredible adversity. She did not give up when he was living a wasteful life. She didn't give up when he was living a rebellious life. She kept on praying for him on and on and on. And the world has been better because of the thinking of Augustine. City of God is one of the most classic pieces of literature and theology in the whole of the history of Christianity, written by Augustine or Augustine. Well, think about the praying mantis, and at the same time then think about the praying mother, and let's compare those, those characteristics and just see if there's an application across to them. Visionary, so that, that uh, praying mantis was able to see 360 degrees around with five eyes. Um, there is a propensity among women of prayer to be visionary, to see more than is apparent and more that is near. Um, on the part of Augustine's mother, she could see him as a Christ follower. She could see him as a world changer. She could see far down the road for him. And there are mothers and grandmothers and other women and other men, of course, but there are mothers who are these mothers that are formidable who see the future and their children being children of faith. My dad was one of five boys. And they were scoundrels, scallywags, um, rascals. All of them were wild ones. And my dad tells about coming home at night and hardly able to find his way to the front door. He was a dancer back when ballroom dancing was a cardinal sin. It was. But that was what he was given to. And he knew it was not what he was supposed to be doing. See, he was part of the brethren, the Plymouth Brethren, um, and the meeting. And every time they met, they would talk about Leslie Campbell and that he was out dancing at the ballroom again last night. My dad would dance. He would drink. He would stagger his way home. He would go up the creaky stairs and look through the bedroom door to his parents' bedroom and see his mother on her knees. And he says it broke his heart every time he saw her because he knew that she was there. It was 3 o'clock in the morning, and she was still there, and she was praying and weeping over Leslie. And he wasn't the worst of them. The rest of them, one by one, 
as late teenagers or young adults found their way to follow Christ. And she got to the time in her life when she could breathe a deep sigh of relief and say, God's heard and answered my prayers. How long did she pray? More than 10 years. How long did it take God to hear and answer her prayers? More than 10 years. And once she got done praying for them, then she had to start praying for their wives and their children and us. Right. So my grandmother prayed for me every day, every night. She was done praying for Leslie coming home from the ballroom and drunk. Now she had to pray for me. I don't know what she prayed for me about, but I appreciate her prayers. They were visionary prayers. They were, they were prayers that said, even though the farthest thing from Leslie's mind is church, I see him in church. I see him as a preacher. And she prayed him into faith and prayed him into ministry. So my, my dad was a salesman. He sold, and this was the most embarrassing thing for me, is that he sold pantyhose, ladies' pantyhose. He sold the first pair of pantyhose in the world, made by some company called Berkshire, and that was one thing, and then he went to another company called Pretty Polly. <laughs> right? So my, my friends, what does your dad do? Um, where, where should we go now? No, what's your dad do? He's a salesman. What does he sell? Stuff. <laughs> what stuff? Pantyhose, all right? Panty, your dad's a pantyhose salesman? His dad's a pantyhose salesman. Right. One day, my dad went home, and my grandmother sat him down and said, Leslie, there are no rewards in heaven for selling women's pantyhose. You're called to be a preacher. And that's what he did. It was a little less embarrassing to say what he did now for me. Except now for me, we came to Canada for him to be a preacher. And while he was making lots of, he was the top salesman in the British Isles for ladies' pantyhose. So Mediterranean holidays and all that kind of stuff. And I could live sort of a double life. Came to Canada and now he's a pastor in the church down the road. And people said, what, is your pa- what does your dad do? And I didn't really want to be a follower of Christ at that time. And I had to say he's a pastor. And I discovered it was actually harder <laughs> to, to say he was a pastor than to say he was a pantyhose salesman. Because it, it called on me for something. My, my grandmother's prayers. She saw way down the road and saw what God was up to. So visionary is a mark of those Women who pray, these mothers who pray, these formidable praying mothers. And if you are one of them, and I know there are many, many of you, if not all, that are here. You are praying, and you're praying, and listen to God or watch for God for a vision that he gives you of what your family will become. Many have children, boys, girls, who are not following Jesus. They're not walking in the faith that you began them with. But you can see that they are the prodigal son that Jesus told a story about. And you can see and hold on to God for what will be the future for them. So don't, don't stop. The, la- the last thing you ought to do is stop praying. The last thing you ought to do is say, I'm sure God is annoyed with me with all of this bothering him. And Jesus says, have I not told you two ridiculous stories? Two silly stories that tell you don't stop praying? So keep on praying. And keep on being patient with God, waiting until the answer comes. 
Luke says Jesus told this story to show that they should always pray and never give up. I know there are many among us who have often felt like giving up, that we've just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and nothing seems to change. And we feel like giving up, right? I mean, who, who has felt that? Even lately, you feel I, I think I'm, I'm just going to stop praying for this because nothing happens. Don't give up. Here's this praying mantis who is still gazing across the field at that prey, and he's willing to wait and wait and wait. Not give up. We saw about the agility of this uh, particular little insect. And there is an agility of prayer among the formidable praying mother that enables her to spring into action in the moment, in the instant of an expressed prayer request. When my boys and girl and their spouses have something that they need, they are most likely to ask Annabeth to pray, not me, because they know that she will do it right then. I, I know here among you and, and beyond this of people that just are able to call one another and in the moment be absolutely guaranteed of the agility of someone else to pray. Not, not just a sort of a said prayer that's kind of a stock thing, but an insightful prayer that, that first of all probes and says, what is it you want me to pray about? And then immediately, not next week or not you know, in, in church, but immediately with an agility springs into action and prays. Here is this insect who is elongated in mid-flight because it has launched itself towards its mission. And here are praying mothers who do the very same thing. And if you need someone to pray for you, if you have a need in your life or an emergency in your life, when you call a praying mother, you will have made the most important and significant compliment to that lady to say, I know that you're a person who prays. Could you pray for me? And, and I don't know a single praying mother who would say, no, I've, that, I've already got enough on my plate to pray for. It's like, yep, I will pray for you and I will pray for you right now. I will be able to, with agility, jump in. The next thing we noticed about this uh, crazy little insect is that it's able to be precise in what it's doing. And it's able to nail its prey um, and, and focus right down there. When you are a formidable praying mother, you're able to pray with, with precision. Um, there is an insight that comes with the ministry of prayer and the gift of praying to a praying mother that knows what it means to pray your will be done because there's a sense of what that will is just based on the walk that that praying mother has with the Lord and, and the ministry of prayer by which when we come to God and say, for the request that my friend just passed along to me, I want to be able to pray your will be done, but I need to get some idea of what your will would be. What would it be like for your kingdom to arrive in this situation so that I can pray with agility and with precision towards the need that, that we have in our family or the need that my friend has just expressed over to me? 
there is an adaptability um, that is in, in the nature and skill of this little insect. And there's an adaptability that comes with the formidable praying mother who is able to adjust when there's a new normal. Right? So in, in the process of praying on and often and without ceasing, when a new normal comes because something happens, something changes, and it's different now, um, something bad has happened, something good has happened, um, this formidable person doesn't say, oh boy, what, what do I do now? This formidable praying mother knows how to now pray about the new normal. Um, here's the news. She's pregnant. Oh. Here's the news. They have miscarried. There, there's a new normal. And the praying doesn't stop because there is a maturity and an insightfulness that comes in that ministry and with the gift of being someone who is committed to being a praying mother. The last thing that we saw about this is the the prophetic notion that this uh, little insect is something religious. Um, th the ministry of praying, many, many times people will say to me, I, th I, I can't do anything practical, or I, I can't do much, but I can pray, but I can pray. Nonsense. Um, even in, in, the, in the language of doing ministry and raising funds for ministry, we might say something like, um, what we really need is for you to pray, but we, we would also like some money. The truth is, what you really want is money. But it's, a, it's proper to say, mostly we want your prayers. But you know what? Mostly we want your prayers. Prayer is the currency of the kingdom of God. Right? It's, not, it's not just something we do if we can't do other things. And when you commit yourself to pray for somebody, their knowledge that you are praying and that they can count on your prayers is a knowledge that you are exercising a spiritual office, a spiritual ministry, um, something that has been committed to you by God. And I, I know so many folks who will say, here's this person, and I know she prays for me every day, and I hear anecdotes about, here's what happened then. And then I found out that at that very time, my friend who prays for me woke up and wondered why she had been awakened in the middle of her sleep, but I came to her mind and she prayed for me. And it was exactly the same time. So it's not something you do when you can't do anything else. It's what you do because it's the most significant thing. It is the best currency in the kingdom. And it is something that God has anointed you for. So I don't have a great theology about what this is, this phenomenon called the formidable praying mother. I just have experienced and heard so many stories, had so many accounts, that I know that there is a particular person in the context of the body of Christ who is a formidable praying mother. She prays for her own family. She prays for others' families. She prays for her network of friends. She prays for anything that comes her way. Um, and she does it with these particular skills that, interestingly, this little insect also exhibits as we have a good look at it. Are you one of those mothers? So if you are today, do not be discouraged and do not stop praying. Just, that's it. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. The Father is not annoyed by your prayers. 
Now, what he does with our prayers, the rest of the story is curious because Jesus says, um, he uses the word quickly, which is hard for me to figure out. He says, if a judge would do this sort of thing, will not your heavenly father, when you bring matters of justice to him, act quickly? And as with Peggy's prayer this morning, we, we say, why not yet? Why is there not justice yet? And that answer is left in heaven. Um, it's, it's not for us to know the whens. But Jesus says, if the whens are frustrating you, still do not stop praying. Do not stop. Keep on praying. To close, let me just show you this picture. You may need a moment to figure out what it is. And the caption is this, don't trifle with a praying mother. This is a hummingbird in the claws of a praying mantis. Don't trifle with someone who prays. All right? Father, we thank you for this lovely story. It's just short and clear and practical. And Father, I thank you for all of the praying mothers who have impacted our lives. All of our mothers, our grandmothers, our spiritual mothers, our spiritual grandmothers, our spiritual sisters. And as well, may we as, as men learn whatever it is that we ought to be learning so that we are more um, on the job when it comes to praying. Thank you for our wives. Thank you for our mothers and grandmothers. Bless them, we pray, as they pray. In Jesus' name, amen.